Are you ready to up-level your performance, become a better sales coach, and grow revenue? Are you ready to be ready? Then ready, set, sell. I'm Hannah, a B2B sales enthusiast and sales consultant, advocating for sales to be a little more human. And I'm Tony from MindTickle, where I'm a sales leader and coach. And you're listening to Ready, Set, Sell, a podcast dedicated to helping revenue and sales professionals like you adopt a sales readiness approach to ensure your team is always ready to win. In each episode, we share smart insights, tangible advice, and actionable tips that can be applied directly to the work you do every day to drive organizational growth. Let's dive into the episode. You know, Hannah, building and scaling an effective sales team is no easy feat. It's true. I've been there. Leaders need to take so many different elements into consideration today. And managing a team full of different personalities and working styles isn't always a straightforward task. Yeah, you know, but some people, like our guest today, somehow make it look easy, which, you know, is kind of frustrating, but he makes it look easy because he does it so well. So calm and collective, right? But that, that's right. I mean, today on Ready, Set, Sell, we're sitting down with Asad Afsal, the director of sales at Formstack and an expert in building and scaling successful sales teams. You know, to give you a sense of the kind of go-getter Asad is, he initially launched his sales career by closing a one-pitch deal for a cool $1 million. I still cannot believe he did that. Like, seriously, that is pretty impressive. Uh, But let's dive into the episode and hear all of Assad's secrets. Assad, uh, Tony and I would like to welcome you to the Ready, Set, Sell podcast. So this is going to be exciting. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Honored to be here. Thanks so much for having me. No, also, so we're going to have a bit of fun today, okay? Tony, Tony and I like to improvise a little bit, so <laughs> we, we we promise not to, uh, to to keep you off guard. But what we love to do, just for for those who are tuning in, is to to allow them to get to know you a little bit, right? So, um, if you could share a brief overview of your career background so far, but more specifically, the moments that really moved the needle for you in your career journey. Yeah, for sure. So, you know what? I have been in sales for a while. It's been more than 20 years. I was just thinking about that this morning. But uh, I started my career on Wall Street, and that's really what kind of moved the needle for me. Uh, I was late at night one time. I, it was around 9 p.m. I called a gentleman in Hawaii, and I one-pitch closed him for a million-dollar deal. It changed my life forever. Uh, from there, I kind of, you know, obviously fell in love with sales. I, I moved on from Wall Street, did a number of different roles, did business on six continents. For the last few years, I've been in tech sales. And, um, you know, I've been at Formstack now, and I lead a team of 60 sales professionals and a team of solution engineers. I, you, okay, so you've just moved the goalposts for everyone. I was excited when I was in my, I'd say the earlier days of my career and I did a one pitch close and I closed like 6,000 pounds. I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is sales for me. And, and you just said 1 million. <laughs> so um, I, I'm sure we're going to have a moment to dig into that some more, but that, that that's incredible. When I see, I see economics, I see marketing and I see sales and I'm like, yeah, we're, we're going to learn a lot today. So um, I'm excited <laughs> to, to, to learn a bit more today. We were talking earlier, I believe you mentioned you're from Toronto, which is actually one of my favorite cities. So even though I'm not a cold weather person, 
I love Toronto. And part of the reason is because I know they have the great underground, so I can actually stay inside and, and warm during the entire winter. But you know, in, in looking at your background, you know, in addition to what you're doing at Formstack and your current role, you've worked at some great places, ADP, PagerDuty, just to mention a couple. What would you say is, um, you know, a specialty or area of focus for you as a sales professional? You know, building and scaling teams is definitely what I would consider my specialty. With people, it's great when you become a people manager and you start leading a number of different folks. But they all have their own unique challenges and whatnot, right? And navigating through some of those on a day-to-day can be its own big thing. And the other big thing I would consider myself as a, as a fixer. I'm happiest when things are a little bit chaotic and I can bring calm to the storm and establish some process. So those are some of the areas that I tend to thrive in. Yeah, it feels like there's almost always a storm out there somewhere. So you can get effectively jump in and really use your skills to be able to calm that storm. So uh, totally understand what you're saying. Give us something that's broken and I think he's going to rush it to try and find a way to fix it. That That's what I'm getting. And that's everything outside of sales too. Uh, but no, like just, just thinking about that and you spoke a little bit about what I guess get, gets you excited. But if we think about like, what keeps you motivated day to day? So on those days where it's not so warm in Toronto and, um, and maybe things aren't going to plan, what, what is the thing that keeps you going? You know what? Uh, I love the idea of taking on a challenge that seems generally unattainable, but breaking it down into small tasks and getting micro wins along the way. And then celebrating that with the team because it's really about the journey as opposed to just constantly being focused on the end goal. I'm a big believer in just compartmentalizing things into smaller tasks, breaking them down, executing them flawlessly, and then celebrating with the team when you're able to get that done. Uh, That's great. You you know, you mentioned team a couple of times already. And, you know, anytime you're dealing with teams, there's all sorts of different personalities and quirks and things that you have to really manage in order to make sure you're successful with things. You know, with that in mind, you know, what, what really interests you about building and scaling, you know, excellent sales teams, especially in today's sort of remote in uh, remote worlds that we live in? I love the idea of actually what gets me most excited is getting somebody as a raw, unfinished product and them wanting to invest their career uh, with you and taking them from like A all the way to a seasoned sales professional in fact, you know, there's this one person that stands out to me when I first became a leader. First thing that my boss said was, hey, you know what? You got to get rid of this person. I said, wait, hang on. Like, I just got here. Like, my first move can't be that I'm going to start chopping heads. I said, no, 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 no. This is the historical performance of this person. You have to get rid of them. I said, okay, let me just follow my plan. Get to know the folks a little bit longer. And in getting to know the team at that time, I found this person to be a natural leader and somebody that had just never gotten any direction. Put my heart and soul into this person, really turned it around. And this person got several promotions while I was there. And to this day, anytime it's Christmas or, you know, some of these special occasions, will always reach out and come back and be like, hey, you know what, I really appreciate what you did for me. And they're doing wonderful things in that in their career. And, you know, that's really the most rewarding thing 
being able to invest in people's careers. So my, my follow-up question to that would be, what happened to the person that wanted to have get rid of that, that individual? <laughs> we never talked about that moment. And, <laughs> but I, I found that there was a general level of acceptance with them because we can, they continued to be my boss for a couple of years since that moment. And I found them really gravitating towards this individual and starting to invest their time in their career as well. So I suppose the learning goes both ways sometimes, right? That's great. And you were able to keep that little I told you so in your back pocket, right? Which is always uh, I never got <laughs> always to use helpful. it. You know what? That's a good point. Maybe I should reach out to this person. <laughs> like, hey, remember that? I, I, I do find that there are two different types of leaders in those scenarios. One that say, no problem. I'm on it. I'm going to get rid of those individuals. Like, no questions asked. And there's other people that say, give me a minute. Let, let's see if, you know, the decision that you made to bring these individuals in was, was the right one. Maybe they need a different approach. So um, I, I've been on that firing list probably when I first started out, actually. So that resonates a lot. <laughs> and I had, a, I had a leader like you in that instance that said, one moment, let me check. There was a list of four of us. During that time, I think I kind of smashed through my target that year once under under that um, individual's leadership and all of the other three people who were on that list also hit their target. So um, they were a bit like, see, <laughs> they weren't the right people to get rid of. So um, we, we appreciate you, Asad. Thank you. <laughs> but but just just thinking about leadership styles, is there a word or a phrase that you'd use to describe your approach to leadership? Situational. And I know that sounds a little bit fluffy. But I generally, you know, I spent a lot of time at ADP. I would say that that's where I grew up, especially as a, as a sales leader. And they're a big Blanchard shop. And uh, you know, when you are starting to get groomed for leadership, they put you through this course called Sales Leadership One. Not very descriptive, but what they're teaching you over there are some of the fundamentals based on this book called The One Minute Manager. Written a while ago, but... This book kind of teaches you one really cool, like core concept, which is that not everybody's in the same learning development as everyone else. So it's not like communism and you can just treat everybody the same or you can paint folks with broad strokes. You have to take a different approach based on where the learning level is of that person. So to kind of dig into this a little bit further, let's say, for instance, I'm working with one of the sales professionals on our team on discovery calls. So it'll be related to a specific skill set at hand. And I want to coach them on how to ask uh, questions around pain funneling a little bit better. I would, in essence, going into that call, try to determine what is their level on a scale of one to four. So if they're a level one, it means that they're generally a novice. If they're a level four, it means they're a little bit more advanced. And me as a leader, what that will tell me is that if they're a level one, I need to do a little more hand-holding. It needs to be me kind of leading the way. If they're kind of a level two or a three, maybe we'll do that task together. Uh, I might be a little bit prescriptive, but you know, if they're like a level three, I'm generally asking them questions for them to figure this task out on their own. And by the time they're a level four, they're a master. So I'll just be trying to remove obstacles. So that's why I say it's situational. It really depends on what the, kind of that learning development level is of that person relative to the task at hand. And that will be my trigger to know how I need to act as a leader. 
No, it's it's interesting because um on the the last podcast that we recorded, Stephanie also mentioned that her leadership style was situational. So it actually isn't that uncommon and completely understand. I, I love that um, description you gave it. It reminds me of the the idea around, you know, teaching, mentoring or coaching, depending on where people are in their stage of development. You know, am I, am I effectively telling them what to do? Am I going to kind of lead by example for things that I've done? Or am I actually, are they at a place where I can actually get them to unlock what they probably know already and just get them that a little bit further? So, uh, yeah, really, really interesting to hear you mention that and think that it's not as common. It is. <laughs> I'm glad that the message resonated. Tony, Assad has such a positive outlook. I can see why he's seen so much success as a leader and a manager in the sales world. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know, I love what he said about breaking down big goals into smaller bite-sized goals so it's not so overwhelming or daunting. Uh, yeah, I think that's a really healthy way of looking at things. And it's an approach that can be applied to the process of building and scaling teams, as Assad has demonstrated in his own career so far. Yeah, and you know, when it comes to managing people, it's, it's like anything else. You get back what you put into it. So Assad's story about investing in that employee who had initially been asked to fire, that, that was super inspiring. Oh, that, that was really inspiring. As I said, it's, you know, I, I've experienced that myself. Uh, but every workplace should have an Assad there to act as an advocate, to coach, and be the voice of encouragement for all employees. Absolutely. So let's hear more of what Assad had to say about the process of building and scaling great sales teams. So tying back into what you had mentioned earlier, that it was a great story where you were able to really salvage a, a career almost in that sense. You know, when you think about that and your leadership capabilities, I'm wondering, you know, how you've built out teams and how you really scale uh, effective sales teams using those capabilities and what sort of things, you know, or maybe some key tips that you might have around that. You know, people tend to complicate things in sales and they tend to complicate things in SaaS. What I find is that if you can be super tight upfront with your interview process and bringing on the right talent, a lot of the job is going to be done already. In fact, one of my mentors and my previous leaders told me that, Saad, if you don't cut any corners during that interview process and you get the right team in place, that means that you could get hit by a bus tomorrow and your team will still be running at 80%. So your job, in essence, is really to take that team from 80% to 100%. Where I'm going with this is that, you know, early on as a sales leader, I determined that there was five things that were going to be very important to me. That's kind of what our mentor used to go with as well. And we came up with a list of kind of ways to test around those areas. Uh, we agreed that we would never cut corners. And we find that the job becomes a lot easier and you're going to have less surprises when you get into live bullets at that time. No, I love that. It really sets it up for the, you know, the, the path for success when you're able to do those sort of things. Although I really hope no one ever gets hit by a bus. That's really uh, you know important uh, as well. But uh. <laughs> I like that idea about actually getting the team from 80 to 100 percent. That The idea is not to hire a team where they are so reliant on you that if you are not there, that they everything falls apart. I think a lot of sometimes as leaders who feel threatened if they are it, it seems ironic, but if the team are not performing, if they're not 100% present, it's like, 
that's a good thing. It kind of validates my uh, my worth. But um, actually, to hear a different perspective is um, is quite refreshing. But um, just kind of transitioning from when you start to build and scale teams, if I think about the organization you're part of right now, and then I think about productivity, I'm sure you know a lot about that. But how, how do you approach um, things like sales training and onboarding, particularly in the environment right now, which is remote and extremely fast paced? It's such a good question. You know what? I was literally just having a meeting around this topic yesterday and we've done it a few different ways. You know, back in the day when you had your sales training, it was you would get these really large training classes. You would put everybody in a room, especially kind of in my Wall Street days. I remember in that time our training class was 87 folks and the goal of the company was to get rid of half of the folks during the training process. And everything was generally live training. Then I've gone to other areas where you'll do smaller classes, you'll stick to live training. Now that the tech world has really facilitated a lot of like learning management systems and whatnot, I've gone to a world where we do everything through software. So the software that we're using at the moment is called Lessonly. You know, it has like a native component in Salesforce. Everything is living in one place and you can just assign people lessons. They'll learn at their own pace. But here's what's missing. What I find is that you can't just rely on one method alone. I find that in this day and age, you need a little bit of a mix. So what we're talking about as an organization right now is... How do we find the right mix of a hybrid model where we leverage some of the technology that we have today, but there's still a live element? And we're asking questions that, hey, do we fly everybody into one location and look into their eyes to see if folks are really getting it? Or do we do a Zoom component? And the reality is that there's no 100% right answer or silver bullet to this. We're still trying to figure that out. I'd love to maybe come back to you another time and let you know how this shakes out. But my gut tells me, my hypothesis is that a hybrid model, you leverage a lot of live sessions and in between those, you have a lot of lessons assigned using the tech that you have available. I love the fact that you said, you know, it's still, still pending, that you also shared your hypotheses. So in my role as a, as a consultant, we we do a lot of sales enablement and training programs. And I can say right now, based on the, the programs that have been developed and the feedback that we're, we're seeing is uh, so hybrid, yes, even if it's, you know, whether it's in-person or it is virtual, but having an instructor-led kind of a set component that is actually more than the on-demand stuff is really where everyone is seeing the best results. So even from like participants' feedback, uh, but also to like um, just the, the overall experience and learning and seeing that be the most impactful. So it's a um, combination of everything, but lean much more on that live facilitated sessions like this. That's what everyone's loving right now. And I do happen to know of another platform that actually does a great job of combining <laughs> training, coaching, and ILTs and stuff, what, what, what and conversation encounters as well. But we'll, we'll save that for another another time. But uh, <laughs> you know, you mentioned something earlier in regards to you know your mentor, right? You mentioned someone that was very valuable to you in in your journey, and I'm guessing they probably helped a lot within your leadership capabilities as well, and in helping develop them. So. 
Uh, I was curious if you could share, you know, maybe a, a two or three of your top leadership tips for any other leaders or aspiring leaders out there that, you know, we really want to figure out how can I best lead a team and how can I make them more successful? Yeah, you know what, the most valuable lesson that I would say, the one most valuable lesson that I learned, and I learned it the hard way, was that it's all about the people. And it's something that as a leader, you sometimes forget once you get into live bullets. You know, you think that you're some kind of hot shot, you become a leader, your team kind of becomes number one, you think you cracked the code, and you think your process could be amazing. And really, you could take anybody from A and turn them into like, you know, A plus or, you know, from A to Z, kind of your process will take care of the entire journey. It's not really the case. It's all about the people. And really a leader, what this person was explaining to me is overhead for that organization. They're a cost center. They're not bringing any revenue in on their own. It's the sales professionals that are bringing that revenue in. And if you can figure out a way to keep your people, that's when you're going to have repeatedly good years because you will be able to hire on the right talent and make really important decisions like, hey, I don't have to hold this person back. I can promote them because I have the next superstar waiting in the wings. And then if you can keep that person for an X amount of time, there's going to come a time when there's going to be a hockey stick for their productivity as well. And eventually the cycle will go on where they're going to be ready to get promoted and you need to have the next superstar waiting in the wings. The other big thing that I found worked really well for me was you have a limited number of hours in the day and you have to really prioritize who are the folks that you're going to be able to spend your time with. So one of the concepts that this person introduced to me was say, hey, you got to be moving the middle. You know, if you break your team out into like A players, kind of B players, and those folks that are newer, perhaps lagging behind, the A players, you're going to be able to remove obstacles for them and they're going to do their thing and they're going to be superstars. C players, you can be directive to them and be like, hey, I want you to do this and come back to me. But then those B players are the ones where you're jumping on calls with them. You're putting in those extra one-on-ones with them. You're really kind of taking some time going into those meetings and you have a game plan being like, you know, I listened to your calls. Here's the gaps. I really want you to try this. Let's do some role plays. And you're putting in that extra little effort because if you can convert those those middle players into your top players as well, your top becomes so big that you become bulletproof quarter over quarter. Yeah, it's such a good point because if you think about, uh, you know, retention is something that a lot of leaders don't really think about. I think the average tenure of salespeople nowadays is what is, I think, 18 months or 19 months, whatever it is. So when uh, uh, an AE feels invested in the organization and that the leaders that they work with are really you know, motivated to help them. That's what really builds that, you know, that loyalty. It really drives the productivity and helps people get to the, you know, achieve the goals that you and the organization really want for them. And I totally, totally love what you're saying there. That's such a great and valid point that not enough leaders really, really think about. They just think about, oh, this is the number we got to hit. We got to think about that number, not really thinking about the person behind the number. Yeah, it's such a good point. You know what? Like I was just reading, um, an article a few days ago 
and it was talking about the astronomical costs involved around onboarding somebody effectively, and it's thousands of dollars. So if you lose that person, you're in the hole, the company is in the hole for those thousands of dollars. And then from a sales productivity perspective, what I find is, is that it takes three players to replace the productivity of one superstar. So if you put all this time in to get somebody to the top, and then they feel like they have to leave you, you're in a lot of trouble because you can't just be skating around at that time and then playing defense and figure out how am I going to replace this productivity? It's already too late. Yeah, I think a lot of people think I can just get somebody, if you know that person does really well and they start to ask for, hey, you know, I've proven myself, I want bigger comp plan and it's like, you know what, I'll just get somebody in who's a bit more junior and for cheaper and maybe they'll ramp really quickly because they're young and hungry. And it's like, it's not the same. <laughs> it's, not, it's not always the same. Um, but you mentioned something, Asad, about that team where you, you begin to work the middle, like that kind of, let's just call them like the B players at the moment, and you, you get them to transition up to A players and then you've got a, you're almost bulletproof quarter to quarter. Um, just want to elaborate on that a bit further. So what would you say are some of the things that are important for an individual, a, a sales superstar to actually remain bulletproof in their approach? So, um, you know, some of the things about being more adaptable and, and flexible in how they're thinking about sales today. You know, we always complicate things in sales. I find the game to be simple. You find people that want to buy. You ask them some good questions. You tell them what we got. And you build urgency. So, Finding the folks that want to buy is really the hard part. The rest of it, you can make a very repeatable motion, right? We have technologies available these days where you can figure out what are the activities that your top folks are doing, what are the things that they're saying, and how do we align what we provide to what other folks need, right? These are things that we should be able to figure out very easily in the sales world at this stage. The hard part is finding that one person where you can ask these questions of and has that need because that requires the hustle. And everybody wants to be successful, but not everybody's willing to do what it takes to be successful. And, you know, if you can find the folks that are willing to put the work in, you can teach them the rest. Yeah, you said one of my favorite words, which is the hustle, right? I think that... Uh... To me, that's one of the things that really differentiates a great rep is the hustle, right? Are they willing to put in the effort and the hustle to do the things that are going to you know, really move the needle? And especially over the last two years, right? It's been an, a very evolving environment that people have had to sell into. So with that in mind, how, how would you say you and your team have really refined your, your sales process, especially over the last two years and even more recently, with over the last month or two, what people are dealing with? Great question. You know what? I would say one of the things that we're always working on is how to have a better discovery process, especially with Formstack, the company that I'm with right now. It's not like one of those things where you have a finite use case, right? Like when I worked at ADP, most of the time we're going to be selling payroll. We walked into those conversations knowing that this person wants to most likely have a conversation around payroll or some kind of HR information system capabilities. Come to a company like Formstack and it's like people, you know, one conversation can be people want to automate their patient intake forms. On another hand, somebody could be like, hey, 
I, you know, my sales folks need to get contracts out the door quicker. And what we're trying to always get really good at is that what are the questions that you can cast a wide net to get the maximum amount of information so you can truly align what we provide to the client's needs. If you're just going out there and talking about a number of features and throwing stuff at the wall and hope that something sticks, it's probably not going to be a great conversation. And even if you get that deal, it's not going to be a very, very big deal. And it's probably going to be one that takes forever to close. So I would say that for me, it starts in a big way around asking the right questions. The other big thing that I'm very keen on is we find that, you know, it takes like a village to, to buy software now. It's not like you can just go to one person and be like, hey, let me one pitch close you now. The, the more enterprise you become, the more you're talking to four or five different personas. So what we are really trying to get good at right now is what we're calling mutual action plans. And these are collaboration documents that we're using with our clients that clearly articulate that, hey, you know what, this is what you want to use this for. These are the folks that are involved. This is what your return on investments are going to be. You know, here's where we're at. Here's where we're trying to get to. And these are the steps that we need to take along the way in order to conclude this deal effectively. And you're almost assigning tasks back and forth to each other where you're working as a team to try to get this deal across the line. And we find that this has just become a way less intrusive way for us to get deals done as opposed to just doing those same calls, being like, hey, I'm just calling to follow up on this deal. Did you get, oh, you didn't? Okay, I'll call back tomorrow. And, you know, those conversations don't go anywhere anymore. Yeah, I think the other thing that really does is it shows from the prospect perspective are they really willing to invest the time to do that with you, right? If they're not, then maybe they're not the right prospect for you, right? Because if they're not willing to put in a little bit of effort on their end, it's not important enough for them to to really move forward with you. So it allows that rep to really prioritize their time and make sure they understand which are the opportunities that are most, have the best opportunity to really close. I am so excited that you said that. I am I'm obsessed with that concept of wanting to spend time with the folks that really want to buy and invest. And there's used to be a saying on Wall Street that if you, and I hope this is podcast friendly enough, but the saying was that, uh, you know, if you talk to pikers, you're going to be a piker. And really it speaks to the concept that, like you got to spend your time with the folks that are ready to invest, right? If they're not serious about it, you got to move on to something else. Yeah, massive fan of, of refining and always fine-tuning discoveries and also the approach to mutual engagement plans. I feel like I do I do so much coaching around that. It's just interesting as a topic that comes up. I was even doing one yesterday. But um, that mutual engagement plan, just having something as um, specific as a date in there and getting a you know a buyer to be like, oh, no, I can't do that date. That's, that's impossible. It takes us three months to do something like that. Immediately reprioritize where, where your time's spent because it physically can't get done or of course you, you question around it. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you, ex, you know, explicitly stated two, two really critical things that a lot of companies are trying to think about, particularly in this day and age. But, um, with regards to your role, I know you're, correct me if I'm wrong, about two years into your role at Formstack, right? So we'd, um, you know, listeners and Tony and I would love to 
understand more about what's next for you in some of your key priorities, but also what's next for Formstack? What's some of the exciting stuff that are coming down the pipeline? Yeah, for sure. So you know what? Um, I've never, ever personally taken an organization to a global level. Our goal as an org is to double its size in over the next year and a half. And we're obsessed with trying to go and become, you know, a $250 million company. So with that, it's going to come a lot of growth. We're going to be going into a lot of different markets. Um, so that's kind of what's next for me is helping us, you know, take this organization to a global level. And in terms of Formstack, you know, it's such a cool organization that can be so many things to a lot of different folks. We're in this cool phase now where the world is really our oyster. And we, you know, we went through a healthy round of funding last year and we're we're generally a conservative organization, especially for a SaaS company. It's not like a riverboat gambling kind of an organization. <laughs> where we, you know, willy-nilly spend a lot of funds. So we ask the right questions. When do you build? When do you buy? Uh, how is our next level of productivity going to come? And what's exciting is that a lot of that is going to come through sales productivity and us growing the sales team. So... I would say that those are the three kind of areas that we're really focused on is how do we try to do more with what we have? How do we make sure that we're continuing to build the right kind of environment where we can continue to onboard a a number of different folks in a number of different areas in the business? And then, you know, how do we go global without being overly aggressive and getting it wrong? Busy times. That's that's a big big ambitious growth that's that's probably the biggest way but i love the i love your comment around just not like spending for the sake of spending right trying to go against the, the typical grain that we see in the SaaS space uh there's been so much conversation around that actually we should we, should, we need to put that as a topic because uh, there's there's so much yes. going on around that right now like should we be spending like that is it is the is the run rate the same kind of run rate as before uh the runway sorry so yeah but tony this is this is the fun time yes. this is the fun time uh, Saad, this has been great. We've had a great conversation, but we're not done yet. So we still have a couple of questions asked that uh, we're going to ask of you. This can be a rapid fire session. So first thing that comes to mind, we're going to hit you with some quick questions, quick rapid answers. We're going to throw them at you real fast. So the first question, what would you say is your sales philosophy in just three words? Competitive, collaborative, and fast. Uh, I thought you were going to go for three C's. Okay, but that was still <laughs> yeah. fantastic. That was great. <laughs> that still works. Um, you mentioned a little bit about your mentoring, but what's the best piece of advice you've been given in your career so far? No means next. I love that. What would you say is your top productivity hack? Just taking my meetings from 60-minute meetings and cutting them down to 45 allows me to get way more done in the day. And then actually using an app that helps me monitor my time and let me know where it's going has also been very effective for me. I mean, on that note, so what's the top free apps that you can't live without? I'm a big uh, Trello guy. I tend to use Clockwise quite a bit to monitor my time. And, you know, this is going to sound very cliche, but uh, I love the Salesforce app. It just helps me know that if I don't have to be chained to my desk for some of these 
you know, very, very simple tasks and I can just do it on my phone. And it also eliminates, helps me set, you know, the stage for my sales reps that if we ever want to talk about, hey, make sure that you're logging stuff and they see me doing it on my phone, then, you know, it sets the right behaviors for everyone else. Sure, lead, lead from the front. So are our leaders made or born? Leaders are made, but they have to decide that this is the right time for them. And they have to have the right motivations to be able to jump into that role. What book has inspired you the most in your career? I'm a big sports guy. I guess that's kind of cliche, being in sales, loving sports, all that kind of stuff. But you really kind of learn in some of those books. And one of them is called Golf is Not a Game of Perfect. And a couple things stood out to me. One is that if you're trying to be perfect, you're setting yourself up for failure. Even the best golfers in the world, they're hitting only like two perfect shots in a round. So what that means for us as professionals is give yourself a little bit of grace and know that there's going to be some mistakes. And it's not about not making mistakes. It's about your response to that mistake. So our, our last question here, I'm actually the movie guy, so I always ask this last one, but would you say sell me this pen or always be closing? I would say always be closing. People need to have competent next steps. And one of the things that I've learned along the way is, is that the way to have a competent next step is get a clean agreement in place with folks. That's something that I talk to my team about quite a bit. And to me, a clean agreement is when the other party knows what they have to do, when they have to do it by, and how they're going to go about doing it. That's when you have a clean agreement. And if you can get that in place, then, you know, your next step is going to be super effective and you're probably going to get it first done. Well, Asad, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on Ready, Set, Sell today. And best of luck to you and everything you're doing at Formstack. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again sometime in the future. Thank you both for having me. This was truly an honor and a pleasure. And uh, one of your biggest fans, excited to, uh, excited to see a few more of these. We have fans, huh? That's great. We do. <laughs> I, I, I knew I had fans, Tony. I don't know about you. so. Um... <laughs> well, I'm your fan, so that, that I, I, you have one in me anyway. Yeah. So, But Asad, thanks again, and we look forward to the next episode. Tony, you know what? After speaking with Assad, it's clear that he's the kind of leader any team would be lucky to have on their side. Absolutely. Uh, you know, his his can-do attitude, his willingness to invest in talented people, and just, you know, his ability to bring calm to the storm, those are just invaluable qualities in any team environment. I think it's definitely in his voice. I, I have to say, it's definitely <laughs> in his voice. Very calming. But I'm going to try and remember the importance of celebrating micro wins. It's just so, so critical, especially along the way, instead of just staying so tied to a really big end goal. Yeah, micro wins are, are huge because people, you know, it's such a, sometimes such a long sales cycle. You have to celebrate the little wins along the way before you get to the big one, or it can become very daunting. I was also inspired by Assad's insights when it comes to human nature in general. He, he just had a, you know, a solid understanding of the need for a situational approach to leadership in, instead of implementing a blanket solution that treats everyone just like cookie cutter. Yeah, exactly. And overall, I think Assad's approach to leadership reminds us always to put the people first. That's it. 
You know, if you don't invest in your people, you're not investing in the future of your company. So it's really a non-negotiable item if you hope to stay competitive in this fast-paced environment. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ready, Set, Sell. We hope you took away some valuable lessons and insights that inspire you to reevaluate your approach to sales readiness. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show when you get a minute. And stay tuned for the next episode of Ready, Set, Sell.